It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. I want you to know the Clark Deals team is hard at work making sure you are ready for Christmas Day. You got 11 days, really 10 shopping days left. If you have been a procrastinator, well, we're trying to serve you as best as we can. I had a um, curbside pickup at Target on Sunday, and when I was at Target picking up, I saw that people were lined up down the sidewalk to get in the store, and then it curled around the building, which I realized when I drove away, because they limit at Target how many people are in the store. So there are a lot of people that are a little late in the shopping thing, and this year, as I've shared with you on many occasions, this last push of Christmas shopping, don't do it online if you really want somebody to have stuff Christmas Day, because the odds are not really good on that. Um, I ordered some things that were not Christmas items over this past weekend, and the two items I ordered both show they're arriving well after Christmas, not in a normal delivery cycle. And so you have to be prepared for that. So if you do shop online, shop somewhere where you can do curbside pickup or something like that. So you know the people on your nice list will have their gifts on Christmas morning. And at Clark Deals, we want you to know that even though the deals are not as good as we had during the month of November, there are still bargains to be had, and we'll help you find those. Uh, we also have a deadline coming up for signing up for individual health plans for 21. The deadline is Tuesday the 15th, so we're right upon it. And this is something that can intimidate people. In fact, I read recently that one-third of people don't even understand how this process works. But it is something that at first can be confusing. The choices can feel overwhelming. So I want to lay out for you how it works and not have you miss the deadline. So this is especially important for you if you are having to buy individual health coverage after prior being under a group health plan with an employer. You start off at healthcare.gov. And if your state has its own shopping site, you'll be directed from healthcare.gov to your own state site. Otherwise, you do your shopping for a plan at healthcare.gov. But there are similarities regardless of what state you live in. And the first one is that based on your anticipated income in 2021, you very well may qualify for a significant subsidy on the cost of premiums for a health plan for yourself or for you and your dependents for 2021. So there's a sliding scale based on income that defrays a lot of the cost of premiums for many Americans just based on your own personal circumstance. And you have to go through the whole protocol of signing up for a plan to see what it would net actually cost you if you're correct about your income expectations for 21. 
Now, inquiring minds want to know, what happens if you just make up a number for income to lower the cost of the premiums for health coverage for next year, and then next year comes and goes and your income was much higher, well, the feds come back and claw back the discount that they gave you in 22 for 21. So you want to be honest as you can be and make as realistic of a guess on 21 income as you can possibly be so that you don't find yourself in a pickle the following year owing a lot of money back. But as you look through the plans, generally you look color-coded. Bronze, silver, gold, and platinum in theory, although in many jurisdictions there are no platinum plans. The difference between bronze, silver, and gold is how much out-of-pocket you have for various things through a year. The less out-of-pocket you have through the year, the higher your premiums are each month for that plan. The compromise most people reach for is silver plans that have a mix of uh, lower premiums than gold uh, and a fair amount of -of out-of-pocket, but not near the out-of-pocket you have with bronze. The coverages of all plans are the same in the color that you look at, but the doctors and hospitals included will vary from plan to plan, and that's where you should spend some real time looking to see if the medical professionals and facilities you like to go to are included or not included in a plan that you are, in fact, considering for health coverage for next year. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Krista and Joel alternate today. And Joel, what are we starting with? Clark June in North Carolina says, I just refinanced my home. The lender is strongly suggesting mortgage protection, insurance that would pay the loan in full in the event that I'm deceased. I'm I'm a healthy 50-somethinger. What should I do? Okay, so first you should know that this is such a ripoff and is so unethical on the part of the banks that when you take out a, buy a new home, take out a mortgage, or you refi one, they try to sell you a trash insurance product that's called mortgage life insurance. Now, the scam is, I mean, it's not a scam because it's not a criminal activity. The scheme is that you pay a massive premium, roughly 10 times the market cost for the value of that life insurance, for insurance that insures not you, but the bank. The bank is getting you to pay a premium so they don't get caught up in whatever happens after you pass away and that they get their money. Now, they pitch it as your heirs not having to worry about that mortgage, but that is really a dishonest way to talk about something that they charge way too much for and insures them, not your survivors. Better idea, if you're worried about the consequences for your loved ones when you pass away from that mortgage, buy your own term life insurance policy. If you medically qualify, it will cost a teensy tiny fraction of the cost, and the money will go to your heirs to use as they wish. And you can look at our information on how to buy how to shop for a level-term life insurance policy on Clark.com. Krista? 
Hey, Clark. So Buck in Florida wants to know, how can we be sure when donating to food banks that the food is actually going to those who truly need the help? When we drive by our county food bank on Saturday mornings, it is not unusual to see Land Rovers, Mercedes, and large new sedans, trucks, and SUVs in line for food distribution. Thank you so much for this question. And it's something the food bank people talk about. They are seeing vehicles lined up in their parking lots that they normally would never see. There are a significant number of Americans suffering from lack of availability of food and hunger who are not driving a beat-up vehicle. Uh, They're people who were living what seemed to be a very comfortable life, and then the coronavirus epidemic happened, and they lost their jobs. I'm not hearing anything about people gaming the system, going into those lines, who can afford to buy their own food, who are coming up in a Lexus or whatever, and just taking food that is more deserving to others. Um, What I am hearing from them is that there are people who've never been uh, clients of theirs coming to get food who really desperately need it because they were living this highfalutin life that fell apart during the economic downturn due to coronavirus. So I can't help you on that because what I've heard is that those are legitimate people who are in legitimate need, not people who are taking food out of other people's mouths. Joel? Clark Steven in New York says, I'm considering leasing a new car, and some of my friends who have recently leased used an independent leasing company instead of going through the dealership directly. They both said it was cheaper to do it that way. Can that be true? Is it cheaper to lease through an independent broker than to go directly to a new car dealer? I was always under the impression that avoiding the middleman would keep the cost down. So that's an interesting statement at the end of that because the actual act of leasing through a dealer is the dealer being a middle person, just as if you arranged a vehicle auto loan through a dealer. They are the middle person. So going like your friends have done, to an independent to arrange a lease potentially is cheaper, potentially. But many times when you lease a vehicle, there's special factory subsidized financing available on that lease that you get from the dealer. This is most often the case with luxury brands from Europe or Japan, but it could also apply in some cases to slow-selling sedans right now that there would be a factory subsidized lease. So I think it's good to compare and see if your friends actually do have something that would be cheaper for you. By the way, the cheapest lease deal is not leasing at all. It's when you buy a vehicle three years old that someone else leased up front and you're getting a better deal because they paid the first three years of depreciation on that vehicle. Krista? Eric in Minnesota wants to know, how long do I need to keep the paperwork for paid-off student loans? I know I need to keep the paper stating my loan has been paid off in full. That's it. As long as you keep the proof that you've paid off your loan in full, this is something you want to take pictures of, have it in Google Photos or something like that forever. You want to have it stored in the cloud if that's what you do instead forever, as well as having the paper copy. Because the problem has been that student loan record keeping is pitiful. 
loans are sold again and again, servicing moves around. And so people will be billed as much as decades later for student loans that they have fully paid off. And unless you've kept the proof that you have successfully paid off that loan, you can end up potentially having to pay off that loan a second time. And it's a bigger problem with student loans than perhaps any other kind of loan that exists. Joel? Clark Mike in North Dakota says, I recently moved from Alaska to the lower 48, and I no longer need my Alaska Airlines credit card, but I'm worried about it affecting my credit score if I cancel the card. So is it better to keep it, pay the $75 annual fee, or cancel it and save that money? Um, And I'm also just worried about the impact to my credit score. How much of an impact will it have? What about missing flying Alaska Airlines? The people love flying so much. Um, As far as the card, as best I know, every airline-affiliated card has, in addition to the paid annual fee versions, a watered-down one that is free of annual fee. See if there is, in fact, with the issuer, a check on your own first to see if there is one with a no-annual-fee option And converting to that would be a great idea. If that's not available to you, shop for another card you'd like to have, like a no annual fee cashback card or something like that. Apply for it, get it first, before you close the Alaska Airlines reward card. Jolene is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Jolene, I love this. You have a teenager who already loves the idea of saving money for retirement. Is that true? Yes, that's right, Clark. Wow. How did you get a teenager focused on this? (laughs) I don't know. I guess uh, she just learned by example, maybe. Well, I love the example that you've set. So tell me her drill and how I can help. Well, we're opening a Roth IRA for her for Christmas, and um, she wants to get in the habit of contributing regularly each month, but she doesn't know how much she'll make from year to year being a college student. And we're just wondering what would happen if she were to overfund it and then not have the income that year. So uh, an overfunding can be corrected. It's a hassle. So what I recommend in the case of somebody who has irregular income and a college student's a perfect example of that, is that if they set up monthly contributions, if your daughter sets up a monthly, that it be a very low amount that she knows she's going to get across that amount. So um, if she anticipates she's going to make, let's say, uh, are we talking two or $3,000 in 21? Is that like where she thinks she'd make part-time yep. work? That sounds yep, about right. So what I would do is I'd slice it right in half. And I do like 125 a month, 150 a month is an automatic deposit into a Roth IRA. And then if later at the end of the year it turns out she made more money, then that's the point at which she can contribute more. But the habit oh, of putting in 100, 125, 150 a month is the most important thing building that automatic habit of saving for the future. And because her tax rate is near zero, putting that money in a Roth IRA is beyond brilliant as a teenager because the money just will grow tax-free and she'll have forfeited the upfront tax benefit of being able to put in pre-tax money, which is useless to her as a teenager 
on a student's very low working income. And do you know where you want to open this Roth IRA? Um, we're still looking, but um, I'm looking at your recommendations. So very, very, very strongly, I recommend the low-cost investment companies, particularly for a teenager, because you want to invest that Thank money you, and give it a Thank chance you, to grow so much over the years. How old is that child I'm hearing? Oh, he's five. And you don't have your five-year-old working full-time yet? <laughs> no, maybe next year. Okay, just kidding. Well, um, en- enjoy your kids, and I love that your teenager is so into saving. It will completely change her long-term financial future and her independence down the road. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. So much media coverage of the rollout of the first approved vaccine in the United States, the ceremonial first vaccines given out. Remember, you're going to have to have two of them in order to have true effectiveness Uh, Best guesstimate for an optimistic viewpoint is that a third of Americans will be vaccinated in about 120 days, probably 110 days. And let's hope we stay on that kind of trajectory to put coronavirus in the rearview mirror. And uh, here's an irony. We have people who are intensely anticipating getting the vaccine and others who say they're never going to get it. And so we're going to see how that plays out. And as I shared with you recently, your employer can compel you in most jurisdictions to get the vaccine. And if you don't, they can boot you out the door as an employee. So it's something that you may find that just in order to keep your paycheck coming, you have to get even if you don't want it. But let's talk about people who really, really, really want the, the vaccine. Scamsters are already becoming a factor. So I saw a story in the Detroit Free Press with a warning from the Federal Trade Commission that there are scammers who are calling people saying they're from the Social Security Administration and that they're calling to sign you up to receive your vaccine. And they'll tell you that you have to give them key information. What do they want? They want your Medicare number. They want your name, address, and potentially your bank account information. So the feds want you to know this is an out-and-out scam. The Social Security Administration is not involved in signing you up to receive a vaccine and will never, under any circumstances, call you and ask you by phone, text, email, anything like that, for key personal information. Not going to happen. Now, let me tell you something else. This has not happened yet, but the FTC expects that people are going to get fake calls, well, they're real calls, but from fake people, saying that, they're going to get you on the wait list for a vaccine. And they're going to tell you you have to do something to get on the list, typically some method of paying them money. 
And that is completely bogus, completely a scam. Anybody asks for checking account number, credit card number, um, social security number, if I didn't mention that, anything like that, completely phony. So do not believe anything along those lines. And each state is responsible for administering the vaccine and the priorities that they will assign to who gets the vaccine first. So somebody who says, hey, pay us and we're going to get you the vaccine quicker, that's not going to be the way this is going to play. Um, Also, there's a feeling on the part of law enforcement that there will be fake vaccines that people will be peddling and say, just come here or go there and we're going to get you the vaccine. You're going to jump the line and you'll get something that you'll get an injection, but it will not be the real vaccine. So I know there are people who are just so anxious to get this, which is ironic at the same time there are other people who say they're never going to get the vaccine. But just wait for your turn in line and the priority set by your state, and don't look for shortcuts because that's where you're going to get scammed. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. And trying to remember, whose turn I'm is it? I'm up. I'm up. Krista. Krista's Stephanie, turn. Stephanie and Georgia wrote in and said, is compensation from a medical clinical trial considered earned income for IRA contribution purposes? It depends on whether you get a W-2 for that or not. Did the individual state, Stephanie state, how much money? She did not. So if it's under $600, you could self-report it as income potentially. If it, and you know they weren't going to issue a W-2. If on the other hand, it's more than that and you're not issued a W-2, and it is not considered to be compensation in a normal sense for earned income, then you would not be able to use it as potential Roth contribution money. And so this is an area that is very confusing when something qualifies as income that you can use to set a Roth contribution amount. And generally when you're paid for something like this, that is more in the category of more like a stipend. It is not money that usually would be eligible. And I shouldn't have even used the word stipend in this case. The thing is, it will depend on the nature of how they report the money that you've been paid. Joel? Clark Carey in Louisiana says, I was told to ask around for a refi that now was a good time, even though I just refinanced in 2019 into a 20-year 3.75% interest rate. Uh, and I owe $240,000, but the home is valued at more than $550,000. I also have excellent credit. So how do I shop for a no-fee refi? Uh, at the same time, I don't want to get spammed or get a lot of calls. It seems like I need to submit a request online, but I don't want to get inundated with mortgage company contacts. I appreciate your wisdom, Clark. So this one is one that is a blessing and a curse because yes, you have at the rate that you refied in two years, a year or so ago, you have a clear window potentially to refi and save a meaningful amount of money doing a new 
20-year loan, or since you've already shaved a year off of it, maybe I could nudge you into doing a refi into a 15-year loan. That'll shave the rate some more. Payment would go up a little bit, but it would uh, get you out of that loan even quicker. So set up a separate email address just for shopping for mortgages, and that way it won't pollute your normal email address with all this stuff, and when the refi is over, you can kill off that email account or whatever you want to do with it, but that way you separate it from your regular life. You want to, for a refi, shop with online lenders, credit unions, and try a mortgage broker locally and see which of the three gets you the best deal on a low or no closing cost refi. By the way, some people are tricked into what they think is a no closing cost refi that actually raises the balance on their mortgage. That is not a no closing cost. No closing cost where you accept a little bit higher interest rate than the market in return for the lender absorbing the closing costs so that you save money right from the first month. Krista? Nick in Minnesota asks, we bought a Chromebook for finance only like you suggest. Do we need virus protection on it? Thanks for all you and your team do. You do not need normal virus protection. The beauty of a Chromebook is that from the architecture of its design, the ability for a criminal to play havoc like they can on a Windows or a Mac computer isn't really present. So the risk is so much lower, which is the whole idea of using a Chromebook as a financial device, using it exclusively for that purpose. And I'll add, going back to setting up a separate email address, I've had the suggestion from several people who are from the technology field to take your financial Chromebook and use a different Gmail account for it so that even if criminal activity occurs, they're not able to penetrate your normal Gmail email presence. Joel? Clark Elaine in Georgia says there's a moratorium on evictions uh, through December 31st, and it's suspected that it will be extended. Can you find out what the plan is to cover landlords that are suffering financially because of this, though? Landlords are not getting the support that's needed when it comes to those who are renting and not paying yet working and ignoring their landlord. The financial burden is on the landlord. And in my case, I lost my job due to COVID. I am really, really sorry about the economic consequences you've suffered losing your job. And the landlord-tenant thing has been lose-lose really for everybody. I mean, the tenants who are not paying you still owe all that money. So it's not like the eviction moratorium meant that that money will not be owed back to you, is to whether the eviction moratorium will be extended past December 31st. It's unknown, hard to say, and we have very few days left for that to happen. If the eviction moratorium ends at the end of December, ends at the end of January, whatever it's going to be, the hard part is going to be taking account of the money that people owe and the number of people who suddenly will be homeless. So this is, this is a brutal situation for you and for the tenants. As best I can see, there's no winners in this at all. Krista? 
Patrick in Indiana says, I know banks insure money up to $250,000, but I'm getting such a good rate. I was thinking about adding another $100,000. Should I take the risk? Uh, I, uh, man, I, I would not, but I want you to go to FDIC.gov and read their briefing on how you can potentially title your accounts at a bank that will stretch your FDIC coverage beyond 250000 So there are ways that, based on how you title your various savings and bank accounts, checking accounts you have at a bank, where you can stretch the amount by potentially a significant dollar number past a quarter million. But I would say that you're playing with fire a bit. I like to err on the side of caution with this and stay below the 250. Joel? Clark Kevin in North Carolina says, I've been contributing to a Roth IRA for about five years, but I haven't been reporting these contributions on my tax return. Do I need to report my annual Roth IRA contributions on my taxes? And if so, how do I report uh, prior year contributions? Well, I have great news for you. You don't have to worry about it. When you're contributing to a traditional IRA, you'll see how you report that on a tax return. But contributions to a Roth IRA, since they aren't deductible, you don't have to report them on your tax return. You don't. But you do want to keep good records of when you've done that. And generally, whatever uh, mutual fund company or brokerage house that you're doing your Roth IRA with, their records are sufficient of the contributions you've made for each year. So this is one of those things. Don't worry. Be happy. You're good. You've done what you were supposed to. You put money in your Roth IRA year after year. Rich is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Rich, you're going to retire. I am. Well, Clark, thanks for taking my call, first of all. And sure. thanks to you and your team for everything. And, um, yeah, I heard you were planning on maybe leaving your radio show. So I thought, well, if Clark can do it, maybe I can too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll still be doing my podcast. But, yeah, I'm I'm uh, going to pull the plug on my syndicated radio show at the end of the year. And I so appreciate the station that have been so loyal to me over the years and the listeners have been so loyal to me over the years it's just i got too much going on and too much work and you know we got this big web business going on with clark.com and clark deals and something had to give and so that something is going to be my 33 year radio career well, there you go. Well, you have something to keep going, and we look forward to the podcast, too. So so you're um, retiring. Uh, how early will you be when you bag work? Well, I'll be 61. I'm planning on giving myself a 61st birthday present in May, and that'll be 39 and a half years for me at uh, my gig with the same company. So I'm, wow. I'm blessed to be able to do that. I know. It's <laughs> um I'm just incredibly blessed, and I, and I hope to have a second act um, like you, but uh, I'm, what I'm planning for is just a retirement so that I can do my own thing at my own pace. And uh, But what I thought of, and I didn't think of it till after I signed up for um, my benefits and such, was, boy, I'd sure like to max out my contributions to my 401K, 
for that uh, five months or so that I'll be working five to six months and also my HSA, which uh, my wife and I have together. And I didn't consider that when I signed up because I use our company's, it's called a match maximizer, which allows us to get the maximum that we can contribute along with the company match, if that makes sense. Sure. So um, what happens is that is your match dollar for dollar to 3% or 50 cents to 6% to each dollar? It's, uh, 50, yeah, 50 cents on the dollar up to 6%. Okay. So uh, when they do those match maximizer kind of software things, it doesn't take into account the possibility. So if somebody puts in 6%, they get the 50 cent match. They're saving 9% of their pay effectively. But you know, I want people to save more than that. Uh, so if you adjust the amount do they allow you at any time to adjust the amount of pay that goes into the 401k yes i believe i can adjust that i don't know that i can adjust the hsa but um the 401k i i can adjust throughout the year so yeah, i believe so, i can change that right? so you can get more money stashed in there but it won't help you get more match you know if you're okay. leaving halfway through the year you're going to get the match that you'll get on the up to 6% you put in, but if you put in 12 or 15% or whatever, you're just, that's your own money. There will be no match going on top of it. Are you income eligible for a Roth IRA? Um, so uh, we are, um, we don't do a separate IRA, but I, I did switch to a Roth 401k. So my 401k is actually a Roth 401k. All right. So, so what I would do uh, is, you could either increase the contribution to the employer-provided uh, Roth 401k or open your own Roth IRA and contribute more to it. The effect will be the similar because the whole idea is you're trying to stash more cash towards retirement before you retire halfway through the year. And so either would be fine. And I just think it's so great that you're in a position at 61 to bag work, you got your HSA money, you got your I, your 401k money, and I hope that you love this next phase of your life. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.